Hi, I'm Arlen Walker, and I'm live from Pelham's Wasteland. Today, I'm doing another kind of fragmentary episode. I've got a call-in from Colin Green, and I think I'm going to read you guys a little bit of poetry and respond to one of the things that um, was mentioned on Spike Pit, Colin's um, podcast. And yeah, I don't know what else all I'm going to talk about. That's part of the fun of doing these kind of fragmentary episodes. So stay tuned for whatever pops into my head. Hey, Arlen, uh, just calling in to say, listen, man, really enjoying your episodes. Thanks for putting them out there. Of, um, you know, you've put across so many different games now that I, I, I never would have heard of, I, I doubt. Um, it's just, it's really good. It's a little bit like uh, Froth with his hub day, uh, the Wednesday bloggerama. Um, you're finding this stuff, you're putting it out there, you're doing a really thorough job. I don't know what else to say, it's really entertaining, you know. And it means I get to hear about these games whilst I'm working as well. That's the joy of the podcast for me. So thanks, man, and keep up the good work. It's a bit of a cliche, but there you go. <laughs> and thanks for the shout-out as well. You take care, man. So that was Colin Green of Spike Pit describing basically exactly what I wanted from the podcast, which is, or continue to want from the podcast, which is a, a space to share interesting games, hopefully games that people uh, might not run into otherwise um, with people who wouldn't otherwise run into the games, but who might be interested, you know, I've got, a whole set of what I think are pretty interesting games that I've talked about now. Um, obviously, the whole set, I've got four superhero RPG reviews so far. Um, we've got the Brazen Backgrounds, Barbarians of Lemuria, and Everywhen Era, the epic storytelling game, not just a brush war, and then my recent obsession Um Blade of the Iron Throne, as well as as Riddle of Steel and Song of Swords, both of those games kind of in the same family tree as I put it. Um, yeah, it's really cool to hear that people are listening and enjoying the podcast and enjoying getting to hear about all of these different games. I I spend far too much money on games at Drive Through RPG, and I figure this is sort of a way, almost to to give back to the community to give them give people a chance to find out about games that they wouldn't otherwise and try something out you know i personally i know there are a number of games everybody's going to have a favorite game and obviously um wizards of the coast with dnd fifth edition totally dominates the market and i know that um as well as anybody else um but if you're thinking about trying a different game, if you have something to try out, I think, why not have a place where you could go to find out about interesting games that you wouldn't otherwise know about and, and try them out, and, you know, try out Cold Steel Wardens or Fallen Justice or Blade of the Iron Throne or Era just, just because it's available and, you know, it's cool and it's neat to try new games. And I think it helps drive the industry forward in a lot of ways to have 
that kind of variety. Um, I really do. I really do think that there's a lot beneficial to that kind of variety, that it, it, there's something a little stifling with a sort of monopolized game and that what we need is more variety and game mechanics and all sorts of interesting things going on and all of that sort of stuff. Um, anyway, my next section, I'm actually going to respond to something that showed up on um, Colin's most recent or almost most recent episode of Spike Pit. So um, stay tuned for some stuff about literary theory and games. So on Colin's episode, he put a, a big warning, said, sit down, don't hold anything while I tell you this opinion that I came across. And the opinion was that rollable tables, random tables, are a crutch for mediocre or bad, or I don't remember how exactly they put it, um, but bad sums it up pretty well, Dungeon Masters. And he made it clear that he did not agree with this opinion, and I think he's right not to agree with it. And so I thought, um, originally I was going to leave a call-in, and then I realized it was going to turn into like 12 call-ins, um, call-ins to call-in, haha. <laughs> Anyway, um, and that probably better to just do my own episode of the podcast and put it out there as like, here's kind of what I think about that. So we're going to talk about um, random tables and about um, creativity and about um, a little bit about literary theory, I think, because if you don't know my background in college, I studied ancient Mediterranean civilizations and English, among other things. I also, I mean, I took philosophy classes and stuff like that and all sorts of types of classes that don't get you a job, <laughs> which I'm lucky enough to have a job now, which is good. Um, anyway, but the, the point being that I know at least a little bit about literary theory and have read some stuff and think it's worth talking about in relation to um, games because there's some really cool stuff that I think goes on with games and game design and different theories about literature. So first I'm going to talk about my my initial reaction was, well, that's ridiculous, but I think it's worth pointing out sort of where this person might be coming from. And that, it seems to me, is if your idea of the Dungeon Master is the Dungeon Master is a storyteller, and if your idea of storytelling is essentially um, this kind of view that involves a sort of platonic ideal of the story that is then reified into um, words and into images as it is told, then I could see somebody thinking that random tables are a sort of uncreative person's crutch, that it's somebody who is not willing to put in the thought work of actually coming up what is supposed to happen next in the story. And especially from somebody who doesn't believe that random tables themselves can do that kind of work because they believe that thought is central to storytelling. Um, and we're going to get into that because, well, specifically 
you may well have heard of the concept of death of the author, and there's a lot of different things related to death of the author, and death of the author itself is related to structuralism as a um, branch of theory. And let's talk a little bit about structuralism. So structuralism basically emerged out of um, narrative analysis, particularly narrative analysis of things like folk and fairy tales that found that they were built out of these kind of consistent pieces. And, um, oh, I can't think of the guy's name. All I can think is Victor Pelevin, and Victor Pelevin is a modern author, not the um, early 20s Russian author that I want to um, name I have his books on my shelf, but my shelf is over on the other side of the room, so I can't see him. Um, but basically, there's this analysis of the forms of different types of um, stories, and particularly folk and fairy tales. And they found that there are a lot of these kind of consistent pieces to folk and fairy tales, and that you could almost build your own folktale or fairy tale. If you knew about all these different pieces, you could just grab them and put them together. And in fact, the next stage of that is not only could you just grab them and put them together, but you could probably do so randomly. And this eventually develops into this idea about the um, lack of need for a kind of thinking being that is putting together this sort of platonic ideal of a story in their head that is then transformed into the written word or the spoken word, um, that instead what you can do is you can just mash things together and create meaning out of them, and you can do so randomly. And so, for instance, there is a um, Borges story. Jorge Luis Borges is a, a great author, and you should read some Borges if you haven't. But particularly, there's two really great ones. Um, Pierre Menard, author of The Quixote and The Library of Babylon. Um, both are great short stories that are all about this kind of literary theory. Um, Pierre Menard, author of The Quixote, is about the idea of this author, Pierre Menard, who wants to write Don Quixote um, wants to be essentially wants to be the sort of person who writes out the book that Cervantes wrote out, um, not to copy it like a, a, a medieval um, monk, but rather to write it himself, to write the same book himself, do through industry what was originally done by spontaneity. Um, and it's a fascinating short story, and it's a great thing about kind of how ridiculous a lot of these ideas about authorial intent are. Um, but the Library of Babylon, I believe it's the Library of Babylon. It might be the Library of Babel, although I think that's the Lottery of Babel that I'm confusing it with. The Library, the library story is a story about this immense functionally infinite library where every book is made up of a random sequence of letters and spaces and punctuation. Um, and the idea is that this is a library that contains all of these books that are gibberish. It also contains every 
everything ever written and everything that could be written in any language that uses the uh, Latin alphabet, it has within it every single book. It has the book that states, you know, what your future is going to be that lays out everything. And it has one book that is very similar and another book that is very similar and essentially an almost infinite number of books that are very, very similar to that book that lays out your future perfectly. It has everything in it. And part of the idea is that this is the kind of, this to me ties in very much with the possibilities of structuralism, that there's this, um, rather than needing an intelligent mind to come up with a story and then put it into words, what you have are just words. And these words are put together and they create meaning themselves. And so the the question becomes, for instance, is there a substantive difference between, for instance, Moby Dick as written by Herman Melville and Moby Dick as written by this random text generator. And then the question becomes, if there is, how could you tell the difference, right? If the text is absolutely the same, you can't look at the random text generator one and realize there's there's no way to look at it and realize that there's no intelligence behind this creation. And that ties in with Death of the Author because Death of the Author um, has a number of different features. But what I heard, it the, the way that it finally kind of made sense to me was when I was talking about Moby Dick and talking about Melville's life. And my professor said, what if Moby Dick was inscribed on the surface of Mars? How would you deal with it then? And aside from that kind of fascinating image of, of a text being inscribed on the surface of a planet, um, it really gets to the heart of it. it was, if you are dependent on knowledge about the author's life and assumptions about the nature of the author to analyze these books, you will not be able to analyze Moby Dick as inscribed on the side of Mars because you won't know anything about the author. Whereas, we can say all sorts of things if we are willing to embrace this concept of death of the author and use our literary theory toolkit, we can say all sorts of things about Moby Dick as written on the surface of Mars that are still very meaningful and and say a lot about the book and and are useful things to say if we are not concerned with who actually wrote this. So that gets me into how does that relate to random tables? And random tables, as I see it, are a really clever way of packing in um, a lot of potential essentially meaning chunks um, and that you can um, it's actually I think a it's a really impressive skill to write good random tables and B it's an impressive skill to be able to use good random tables because what you are doing is essentially the same thing as going into a dictionary and trying to find the right word to use 
um, it'd be a little bit like if you had a random word generator and you said, well, this is the word that I'm going to use in the coming sentence. And sometimes it wouldn't work as well, but sometimes it would add something that you never would have thought of. And that um, essentially the idea being that words are just blocks of meaning that are arbitrarily assigned to the word, right? There's nothing inherent to the word tree that means treeness. Um, and they have this network with other meaningful things. And that kind of in a fractalized way holds true for all sorts of things. That also holds true for illusions, right? That when you make an illusion to another work, you are essentially bringing in the meaningfulness of that other work into the network of the thing that is making the illusion. Allusion with an A, not illusion with an I. Um, so I see using random tables in storytelling as essentially another similar thing to using illusion. And that what you're doing is basically demonstrating just how right these structuralists were that you can make stories out of dice rolling. And that, that to me is what's really cool about role-playing as a hobby is that you're making stories out of dice rolls. You're not telling a story that is in your mind and being reified into words. There is some of that. There is some kind of, well, what am I going to do for this whole thing? What am I going to start the players with? What am I going to give them as a hook? All of that sort of stuff. But that really what you are doing when you use interesting random tables and then also have the mechanics in play. And this is a thing is that you can't do this without actual hard dice mechanics, but when you have the mechanics in play, you are able to construct a story that works on this structuralist principle of being different meaning components that are randomly or semi-randomly kind of joined together into a story, and it creates something really interesting, partly because it creates something that the DM did not expect. Right, The dungeon master doesn't know how the story is going to go when there are random tables involved, when there are mechanics involved. Nobody knows exactly how the story is going to go. And it also, I think, helps to create something that um, allows for all of these kind of interesting things to grow in the cracks for lack of a better way to describe it that um for instance when i write short stories and i don't do it much anymore and i should um but that's a, a different issue um there are a number of kind of themes and sequences and ideas that my mind just sort of latches on to. And one of the cool things about random tables is that you don't have that um, 
preconception necessarily, or you have somebody else's preconceptions that you're working with and you blend that together into your own storytelling and create something really fascinating and unique. And um, in fact, I'm going to talk about um, not yet, but I've got a couple of things that I want to share with you guys, including um, one that I believe is called it's uh, Revelry in Torth. And Revelry in Torth is essentially a sword and sorcery adventure, a sword and sorcery, sword and planet adventure that is told through random tables, which is so cool. I think that's just awesome. This idea that you have a, a story that is told through randomized events and random tables and a combination of random tables and story sections. Um, I'm not going to talk about that one for a little while because I'm going to get back into the habit of doing supers overviews. And that is not a supers overview. And in fact, that's probably going to be one of the first things I do for R-rated July because I'm pretty sure I haven't read through it all the way, but I'm pretty sure it takes the, um, well, the, the publisher is the same publisher as Alpha Blue, which is the um, space pornography kind of game. And uh, so I suspect that there is some not, not so um, appropriate for children stuff in Revelry and Torth, but I don't know for certain because I haven't read it all the way through yet. Anyway, random tables are really cool and random tables fit into a um, storytelling tradition that has a serious pedigree and fit into a theoretical tradition that is very influential and very important, um, which random tables don't necessarily need me to defend them, but I figured it was worth talking about how random tables are not just cool, but they're something serious. They're not just a crutch for uncreative dungeon masters who can't be bothered to think of what happens next in the story. They are a serious, they essentially represent serious involvement with a very um, important literary theory tradition. So yeah, random tables, use random tables in your games and write random tables. Like I said, there's a real skill to writing good random tables and, um, I think that it is cool to see really well-crafted random tables that suggest interesting things about the world that everything is taking place in and that, that can by themselves sort of tell a story or set a theme or anything like that. So I'm also going to talk about another feature of kind of random tables and old school gaming that I like, which is um, consistent world and consistent world level and things like that. Um, basically, what I'm talking about is the opposite of what happens in Skyrim. So I don't know if you've played Skyrim, but one of the things that happens is that early on in the game, there are a lot of randomly spawned wolves in natural areas, and the wolves will attack you, and you fight the wolves and all that sort of stuff. Once you get to a certain level, those the the level the way that the level lists work is that the sections of Skyrim as you um, move through them are populated by potential enemies based on your character's level. 
And one of the odd quirks of Skyrim is that the wolf, that whatever level list it is that controls wolves spawning, has some other creatures on it. In particular, it has bears on it. And so one of the things that happens is that early on in the game, there are a lot of wolves in the environment. And as you get to the higher levels, suddenly all of the wolves disappear and there are only bears in the woods. And I hate that. I It bothers me so much. I don't know. Well, I have a couple of ideas about why it bothers me. And basically, it really has to do with kind of the assumption of reality of the world and this idea that the entire kind of ecology of the land is dependent on your character's level just seems so silly to me. It's such a, you know, why, why does it matter what level my character is for whether or not they're going to be wolves or bears in Skyrim um, from a, from the internal logic of the story perspective Um which is why when I play Skyrim, I generally like to play with um, various D-levelers. And so I play, I've played with, there's one mod called Requiem that's pretty cool that does a lot of interesting um, stuff to make role-playing more interesting and D-levels the entire world so that everything is basically set at the beginning. At the beginning of the game, your character is very, very weak relative to most everything in the world. And as you go through the game, you get stronger and stronger, um, which I really like. I really enjoy that kind of feeling that my character is going from this sort of weakling nobody um, to who struggles to fight a single skeleton to being able to just wade through a horde of skeletons at once. That, to me, is really cool. Um, so with that in mind, how does that relate to the discussion? Well, it seems to me that random tables are a really good way to ensure that you have a consistent feel to the world. If, for instance, you have one random table for grassland hexes, if you're doing a hex crawl, right? And if that random table stays the same throughout the game... There is some sense that the the ecology and the the world is not responding to your characters leveling up and becoming more important and all that sort of stuff. And in particular, you have that sense of the the different combat balance that occurs as your characters level up and that their position relative to the world, Changes, And I think that's something really interesting that RPGs don't do enough is um, not just your character kind of generally leveling up, but how does your character's relationship to the world change? And that has a couple of features. One feature is just what I talked about, that your character goes from being a, a wimp who can barely fight one skeleton to a badass who can fight a horde of skeletons. Um makes the world suddenly seem a whole lot less dangerous when you can chop through a whole horde of skeletons and gives a real sense of having kind of lived through the worst of the things and being able to go further afield now and all that sort of stuff. And that's really neat. I really like that. 
Um, but there's some other stuff too. And one of the things is your character's involvement with the um, organizations and the civilizations and all of that sort of stuff. And that I think, first off, I think leveling up in games is oftentimes a little bit silly because one of the big things you do is you get more hit points. And why does having adventured for X amount of time make you better at getting stabbed with a sword? I don't know. It seems like kind of a silly abstraction to me. Um, what I think I've talked about this before, what I see leveling up as is more like getting a promotion at work that you're not necessarily personally any better at the stuff you do, although you probably have a couple more skills and a little more familiarity with the organization. But really what happens is that now you have both more responsibility and more power. So that when I run Blade of the Iron Throne, and I'm going to someday, I'm sure, I'll figure out how to get somebody to play Blade of the Iron Throne with me. That is going to be where leveling up comes into play, is that it's not about getting, um, you know, better at stabbing things or better at getting stabbed with a sword because that's just silly. Leveling up is gaining a more and more important position within the world. It's gaining those promotions and having more responsibilities and having more power too. Um, anyway, but that, that, to get back to the random tables discussion, one of the things that I really like about a really good random table list is the way that it suggests a consistent and um, a world that exists beyond your characters, right? Um, so to, to use another example that I remember from college, one of the discussions about film was that um, one of Sergei Eisenstein's contributions to film was this idea that people are smart enough to put together things that happen. When, when you show them two related images, they can put together that those two images are related and how they are related. And what that does is it makes the world of the film larger than any specific image in the film. So let's say you have one shot of a little log cabin on a prairie and then you have a second shot inside a log cabin, people will put together, oh, this is the log cabin from the prairie. That whole prairie in this logic still exists in the larger space of the film that is not being shown. In the same way, so Lord of the Rings is really clever about this. One of the things that I think makes the Lord of the Rings movies work really well is that they often show a great big shot of the the things going on and on the kind of world scale and then a close up shot of things going on at a much closer scale and they use different techniques for different um scales so for instance on the great big world scale you have to use cgi for the armies but on the close up scale you have actual actors in prosthetics to represent orcs or to represent Gondorian soldiers or that sort of thing. Um, and what that does is that is about convincing the viewer of the reality of the world that the film is taking place in. That every time you see those two shots back to back, what you think about is that, oh, 
that great big view of the whole world, the world scale, you know, the big battle going on, that's full of little figures that are just as real as these close-up ones. These close-up ones where they look really, really realistic and really good because they're prosthetics and because they have, you know, metal armor that's actual metal and all of that sort of stuff. Um, what you do is you essentially set up this thing where I believe on the big shots that every little bit of it, every little bit of what is shown is just as real as what's shown in the small shots. And on the small shots, I believe that this is a part of that larger world that those big shots showed me. So we've gotten way off track, but I think that that skill, essentially doing that sort of thing, is really important in establishing the reality of the world that RPGs take place in, because you want to have a sense that the world that the game is taking place in is a real world with real consequences for things, but that also doesn't revolve around the player characters, right? Because a real world doesn't revolve around anybody in particular. Even the really powerful people in our world have to deal with, you know, things like random cancer diagnoses and all sorts of weird shit that happens. And none of them have the world actually revolving around them, despite how powerful they are. So, that just gets to, I think, random encounter tables are a really good way to enforce the reality of the world because what they do is they suggest here is what is going on in the world right now, essentially. Here is, and here's what is going on regularly. Here's what's going on irregularly, especially if you have encounter tables. If you have encounter tables that are like 2d6 or 3d6, you can put the, here's, you know, you see a herd of bison on the horizon at one of the really common spots. And then you see a dragon flying off in the mountains at one of the really rare spots. And that creates a real sense that dragons are the alpha predators, that there are not a whole lot of them, but that they are there and they're present. Whereas the bison as the, you know, large ungulate herbivores are much more regularly present. And there are a whole lot more of them and they, of course, in this example, the bison are one of the things that the dragon feeds on. And so the idea is, well, you see lots of bison because dragons need to eat lots of bison. Anyway, that's kind of a silly example, but it gets you, I think, the idea that I'm trying to get at, which is that rather than having the Skyrim thing happen where all of the wolves turn into bears at some point, and I think there's a danger of that happening when you leave it up to a game master to decide what happens because the game master wants a lot of game masters want that balance or at least a lot of them in more modern games seem to be interested in balance and so what you get is these um a player there was an example posted i think as a comment on a youtube video that uh, a player was talking about playing pathfind not pathfinder playing fifth edition and um they end up attacking a number of sailors. And because the logic was, well, every combat encounter needs to be balanced, the sailors are like seventh level fighters. And that totally breaks immersion in the world because why is a seventh level fighter 
working as a sailor on this meteor ship, why does the world level up with me, essentially? And I think that's sort of the core of the Skyrim issue is why does the world level up with me? Why doesn't my relationship to the world change as I level up? And I think that random encounter tables are a really good way to enforce that type of character relationship to the world change and all of that. Um, anyway, so that's just sort of my two cents. I think random tables are really cool. I think that person who thinks that they're a crutch for uncreative GMs is, is just silly and, and totally wrong, but that's just me. Call in and let me know what you think. Um, if you made it through all of this kind of rambling about all sorts of stuff that I'm interested in, then um, call in and tell me what you think about my ramblings. So that was the episode for today. Sorry it's not an overview. Um, I'm going to do hopefully one tomorrow. I'm not entirely sure. Maybe on Sunday. Maybe it won't be until Monday. Who knows exactly. Um, I think I'm going to overview. Well, I'm not sure what I'm going to overview next, although I've got an idea to do um, DC Adventures and Mutants and Masterminds either together or separately, but similarly. Um, yeah, that's probably coming up pretty soon. Might be another thing or two in the way in between. But that's just, that's what I've been reading recently. So um, in case you are interested in figuring out that's that and um, reading through Blade of the Iron Throne and Song of Swords, which I didn't talk about either this episode that much. Um, I am hoping to get a chance to play them soon. I just recently have... Um, it looks like I might be able to get a chance to play Era, the storytelling game with Colin Green on Saturday. So that'll be fun. Um, otherwise, I guess we'll see what is uh, going on. And um, yeah, if you have something you want to say about this episode, hit me up on Twitter at Cows from Powis. Hit me up here on Anchor. Otherwise, I've been Arlen Walker. I've been live from Pelham's Wasteland. See you next time.